Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast. This is the Reverend Jacob Smith, and I just want to make a real appeal. Uh, whether you live in New York City or whether you don't, but these sermon podcasts have made a difference. We want to encourage you to go to calvarystgeorges.org backslash giving and make a one-time gift or pledge. There are a lot of things that can make huge differences in people's life, but we believe that the one thing that is eternal is the heralding of the gospel, the good news that God is at peace with you because of the shed blood of Jesus. And if this has made a difference in your life or you'd love to see it make a difference in someone else's life, we'd love for you to get behind us. So go online and give us a gift or make a one-time pledge now. God bless you. And a uh, very warm welcome to you to Calvary St. George's. Um, uh, I want to preach from the letter to the Hebrews because uh, chapter 10 is uh, kind of one of the climactic points in this uh, wonderful, wonderful epistle. Uh, the epistle to the Hebrews was actually originally written for Jewish Christians. Uh, the Jewish religion prior to 70 AD and the destruction of the temple offered really a tangible experience for religion. And, uh, and uh, this is, you know, what a lot of people talk about. But the temple worship with its emphasis on uh, a Levitic priesthood and you had uh, the Holy of Holies and you had sacrifice and you had blood and you had things roasting and the smells and the sounds. And there was a map there by which one could grab hold of such things as virtue and godliness and wisdom and justice, all the so-called roadmaps to God, if you will. And in the early days of Christianity, the question going on in these synagogues was water, bread, wine, the words of a preacher, is that enough? There was a real allure in those days for Jewish Christians uh, to return back to Judaism because of its tangibility. There was a clear and definite thing to do to make atonement for sins. This is also one of the arguments that places uh, the book of Hebrews written before 70 AD because the person there is obviously aware and the assumption is is that temple worship is happening right now. So it actually dates this very early, this uh, epistle. But the epistle to Hebrews and what the author is doing, and it's really a lot of people think a sermon based off of Psalm 110, but what he's doing here is he's, he's, making, uh, he's making and he's calling all of us to hear and to know Christ as the fulfilling agent of the Jewish religion. Jesus, as our great high priest, is our atoning sacrifice for the whole world. However, today, this epistle is a bit hard to relate to. Primarily because everything in Jewish worship fundamentally changed after 70 AD. You know, what they do, the Jewish worship today is a lot different than what it was back then. For as Jesus prophesied 40 years earlier, this is the point of our gospel reading today, that everything, including the temple, would be destroyed. And so the question was asked amongst the folks, where was one to make atonement? Where was one to find forgiveness for their sins? John Levinson, he's the distinguished professor of Jewish studies at Harvard University, he points out that the rabbis, after 70 AD, completely recalibrated the fundamental nature of Judaism. They changed it after the destruction of the temple. And now the temple was in the home, the table was the altar, and the good works and repentance, your good works and repentance, was the sacrifice which pleased God. 
However, just because things changed doesn't mean God changed. And don't ever forget this. The central theological theme in Judaism, the rabbinic literature changed all of this, but when you read the prophets, you read the law, it is about atonement. It is about atonement. And it is, atonement is central to Christianity too. I mean, everybody wants to talk about community and incarnational stuff. And like the incarnation is in our religion. But the, the, the fundamental thing that holds the whole thing together is this concept of atonement. I'm breaking the pulpit. So, whoever, but that was a bad idea to put that there. But anyway, um, but so, where was I? So, atonement. That's what it's about. And this is my first point. Atonement is at the heart of the Old Testament. I mean, the entire sacrificial system is based on this. The Jewish scriptures, atonement is at the heart of it. And it's at the heart of the New Testament as well. And atonement, what this is all about, is that it specifically deals with how we are reconciled to God. And how we are made righteous. There's a lot of people that want to talk about how what Paul is talking about is how people belong to the community and ecclesiology. And that nothing, it's not true. It is individual. And and, and it gets right at the heart of this. And this was the point of the sacrifices of the Jewish temple. You read like some of the Essene communities out there. They talk about the individual as well. And the importance of sacrifice for the individual. Sin... In the Jewish religion, during this time, at least outwardly, was taken very seriously. And that sin, how it worked in the temple was, is that it was transferred. Or it was imputed to a sheep, a goat, a bull. And it was sacrificed for our atonement. For our forgiveness. The term scapegoat that's used in our language comes from the Levitical system of taking a community sin and laying it on a goat and sending it out into the wilderness. However, this was the author of Hebrews' point in the early part of our our reading today, the first uh, sentence of our reading today, and also in chapter 8. That this, all of these sacrifices were simply a type and a shadow to prepare the world for Jesus. And what the Messiah had come to do. It was a fifth, since Moses, it was a 1500 year illustrative lesson. It had though no power to cleanse people from sin. Now most of the world, as I said, they'd read the book of Hebrews. Most of the world today is completely disconnected. As to the degree of the seriousness with which God takes sin. And so therefore, what happens is, is that we think we can make up for it on our own. We think we can atone or at least blame someone else for our shortcomings. And even as our society becomes less religious, and I don't think that's true, I think it's just becoming religious in different ways. Our world and our society, and you, I, we all know, you, me, we all know people who are suffering under the torture of what we hope to become. Maybe this is you. You are suffering under the torture of what you must become. And no matter how much atonement you make for it, that shortcoming, you can't seem to fill the gap. 
You're not successful enough. You're not a good enough mother. You're not a good enough father. You're not woke enough. You're not relevant enough, Jake. You're not pious enough. And I see this as a pastor in our society. I mean, we talk about how we're less religious and somehow we're more free, but we're actually in more bondage than we've ever been. Because no matter how hard people strive, it doesn't seem to be enough. And they're being crushed under a system of demand or they're finding scapegoats and so-called enemies. I love how the Episcopal theologian Robert Farrah Capon puts it in his book Noon to Three. He says, Our pride drives us to establish our own righteousness. We strive all our life to see ourselves as keepers of rules we cannot keep, as loyal subjects of laws under which we are outlaws, only to be judged. Yet so deep is our need to derive our identity from our own self-respect that we will spend a lifetime trying to do the impossible rather than, and listen to this, for even one carefree minute, consent to having it done for us by someone else. Yet for us as Christians, having it done, being atoned for, being made righteous before God by someone else is what it is all about. And this is my second point. At the very heart of the Christian understanding of atonement is the message that it is finished. And when I say finished, I mean finished. Throw your what would Jesus do bracelets away. There is nothing left for you to do to be reconciled with God. As a matter of fact, Christ, as he says, has put all of his enemies under his feet This is Near Eastern King image in our book reading from Hebrews today. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. He has accomplished it all and there's only one last task for him to do and that's to put away death. And believe me, by his death, he has triumphed over death. There's nothing left for us to do to be reconciled with God. When you were baptized, whether you knew it or not, your entire relationship with God in the positive was done for you by someone else. Or as the author of Hebrews puts it in our reading today, in verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Talk about the Christian faith in a total and complete nutshell. For by a single offering, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those, that's you and me, who are being sanctified or being made holy. And so what this means is is that you have the assurance from God because of the shed blood of Jesus that you can stand confidently and complete in the eyes of God despite the fact that you are not perfect right now. I mean, this, unlike temple Judaism, this, unlike becoming something in our modern age, is not tangible. 
believe me, I experienced that firsthand this Thursday driving in this weather. During the snow, we were supposed to go to my friend's institution in Bedford. And after about an hour, we had only got the 58th Street. And then it took an hour and a half to drive back. And I was in my, or not, not an hour, excuse me, three hours to drive back from 58th Street. And I was in my collar. And there were all these people blocking the box. And I was just getting angrier and angrier to the point where I was screaming and cussing at someone. And then I took my collar off so that I'd like look justified as I was giving people the bird. And, um, and you know, but so, you know, this is not tangible. It is not tangible. It's not quantifiable. There are some moments, man, this beast comes out and it came out on Thursday. There were these lady blocking the box and she'd been blocking this guy and I clicked my brights on and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, what are you doing? And I was like, how dare you try and cross her in a yellow? And anyway, but um, that's, that's just the gist of it. It's not tangible. It's not quantifiable. You can't measure it or qualify it. It's a promise given to you. And this promise is conforming you and sanctifying you. And then you will know for sure when you are risen from the dead. But the perfection is solely a promise given to you right now. Through the word of a preacher. And in a minute, bread and wine. And when it was poured over your head in water. And it is received by faith alone. And the answer to the question that was being floated around in those early synagogues, is it enough? You bet, because it's all you got. It's all you got. Christ, your high priest, he offered up the one full atoning sacrifice for all your sins. You are completely covered. Nothing more is needed. Jesus did it all for you. And I can't say it enough because I myself need to hear it over and over and over again. So this brings us to the big so what. What are the implications of Jesus' atoning work in our lives? Well, the author gives us three let us statements. Now remember what this means. Oftentimes at this point in the sermon, the the preacher gives you a whole list of things to do. He takes away the gospel with, he gives you the gospel with the left hand and takes it away with the right. These let us statements are not things you better do or else, but things that you will do. These are now your desires. This is a description. And the first is, let us approach with true hearts in full assurance of faith. And we've already done that when we prayed, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. And they have been cleansed by the sprinkled blood of the Lamb. And washed with water in your baptism, you now in a moment will draw near to this table and eat the bread that is his body and drink the wine that is his blood. This brings him to the second let us. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Our hope is strong enough to hold on to, my friends, because Christ is holding on to you. And in that promise, he's holding on to you that he will come again for you, that he's risen for you, and that he will raise you from the dead and give you eternal life. Holding fast to that confession of our hope also implies witnessing to that confession and that hope that the Spirit has planted in our hearts, witnessing to a world that doesn't get it or thinks it's a little ridiculous. 
So, but this leads us to the third let us statement. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. What's he saying here? Basically, attend church, <laughs> for this is the place where you are in. And I get why people don't want to go to church, man. I've got enough stuff to do, and if I come in and get a whole load more, I mean, it's crushing. Or if I'm told I don't, need to, I don't measure up, it's crushing without any good news. But not here at Calvary St. George's. This is the place where you should come because this is the only place you're going to hear this message and encouraged by the gospel, nourished by the gospel. You're sent out by the gospel to witness to the world about the gospel. And my friends, I'm encouraged every Sunday by your presence and your love. And I hope you are encouraged when you come to Calvary St. George's. It's a great habit to have as we await the day of our Lord's coming. And believe me, my friends, he is coming back. So let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And let us stir up, not because God needs us to do these things, but because you and I, we need them. And we need to do these things for each other, for our neighbors. And this is my third point. At this point, the epistle to the Hebrews sounds like a big old salad sermon. Let us, let us, let us. That's a little homiletic humor for you. However, remember, when you're reading this passage, take a look at the therefore. And whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, remember what it's there for. And it is to throw you back to the mercy and grace of Christ Jesus. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's therefore because it's all based on what Christ, our high priest, has already done. And that, and that alone, makes all the difference. Everything else is gravy. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for listening to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast. And if Calvary St. George's has made a difference in your life, even from afar, we're asking you to consider how you might financially support us in our mission to share the gospel to the very ends of the earth by making a pledge. A pledge says that you're with us in the 2019 year and allows us to help shape our budget and how we are going to carry out this mission in the 2019 year. Remember, no pledge is ever too small. So head over to Calvary St. George's org backslash giving and make a pledge today and as always thank you for your prayers and your support